I have called up in all my years of sorcery, no god or devil, ominous and gibbous. And the thing was a streaming ooze of charnel The wormy corpses that he dug with his hands from unconsecrated graves. It is verily known by few, there were people, but it's mostly priests and women, it is told. Me picked up as they fled, and pulled limb from limb as a child might quarter an insect. The Double, the double shadow. shadow, a Clark, Clark, Ashton, Ashton, Clark Ashton Smith podcast. Hello, and welcome to The Double Shadow, a podcast exploring the weird fiction of 20th century writer Clark Ashton Smith. I'm Tim. I'm Phil. And I'm Ruth. And in this episode, we'll be covering The Enchantress of Salaire. It was originally published in the July 1941 issue of Weird Tales, alongside stories by Seabury Quinn, Mindret Lord, which is another great name. It's no Nard Jones, but it's pretty great. Manly Wade Wellman, and I, I'm assuming what is a reprint of Charles Dexter Ward. And as a notable sign of the times, there was also a story in the issue called I Killed Hitler by Ralph Min Farley, which I've been meaning to do more research on, but I uh, haven't had the time. The story was also published with an illustration that I'm assuming is by um, Smith himself, uh, which we should try to throw up on our uh, website when we put the episode up. Yes, I couldn't find any details in any of his letters about the story, so I couldn't find a confirmation in there that it was by him, but it seems likely. Yeah, the um, in the Nightshade editions, they in their notes on Solaire, they note just that there are no notes on the story. Like it's there, there doesn't seem to be any mention of it. I don't think they found multiple drafts of it. So it's a bit of a, um, as far as backstory goes, a bit of a mystery. Maybe it's not by Smith. Maybe it was written by the ghost of Lovecraft. It's totally a Smith story. I know, but we can start a conspiracy. <laughs> Tim's all about conspiracy. Who's the real author of Enchantress of Solaire? Was it Roger Bacon? <laughs> Let's find out. I say it was Tim Mucci. <laughs> With a time machine! This is the last uh, Averone tale that Clark Ashton Smith wrote ever. It's not the last to be published, that's what we'll be covering next time, but this is the last one that he wrote, which is kind of sad. Although, as Tim pointed out in an email, it's kind of like the unifying theory of Averone. There's a lot in here that, um, I, like, in, in some senses, it is the ultimate Averone story. I, it's not my favorite, but it, it could be touted as the ultimate Averone story. So I'm glad that it ends, he ends strong, shall we say. Sure, he combines pretty much everything from the other stories. And circles back thematically to the end of the story. Why, you big ninny, I could never marry you, declared the Demoiselle Dorte, the only daughter of the Sieur de Flesh. Her lips pouted at Anselm like two ripe berries. Her voice was honey, but a honey filled with bee stings. You are not so ill-looking, and your manners are fair. But I wish I had a mirror so I could show you to yourself for the fool that you really are. Why? queried Anselm, hurt and puzzled. Because you're just an addle-headed dreamer. You care for nothing but silly old romances and legends. People say that you even write verses. It's lucky for you that you're at least the second son of the Comte de Framboisier, for you will never be anything more than that. But you loved me a little yesterday, said Anselm bitterly. A woman finds nothing good in a man she has ceased to love. Dolt! Donkey! cried Dorte, tossing her blonde ringlets in pettish arrogance. If you were not all that I had said, you would never remind me of yesterday. Go, idiot, and do not return. Harsh. That was 
That was an amazing performance by Ruth. Yeah, good clap job. That. That yeah, great. me too. Thank you. I spurn lovers a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line, a woman finds nothing good in a man she has ceased to love. Who is Anselm? I mean, we don't really know much about him, I guess, except that he's a rich kid, kind of. Yeah, he's a rich kid. He's kind of a dreamer. He's a reader and a writer. And he's, he's a poet. Really, really dramatic because after she does this, he goes off and hermits for 13 months. And this is 13 months later, and he's still thinking about it. How old are these people? I think they're still teenagers. Yeah. And Selm is often in his hermitage for 13 months, still thinking about her, and he's remembering her beauty. He's remembering her full ripened mouth, the round arms and slender waist, the breast and hips that had not yet acquired their amplest curves. So is she a kid? So they're young. Uh, yeah. I think she's still, uh, she's a younger teenager, but not like, not like in a 20-ish. Right. Because it is medieval. Medieval times. Yep. Anselm is off. He's, he's living in a, I'm assuming he lives in a cave like most hermits. Or a hut. Yeah. I assumed he had a shack. I yeah. kind of assume maybe he moved into the Mandrake shack. <laughs> Once it was vacated. Yeah. He ripped the crime scene tape down. And I have it. an obsessive need to tie all the stories yeah. together in ways that well, this... not, don't necessarily make sense. Now, all we know is that he has a pallet or couch, as it's referred to. Right. And um, that he doesn't have any kind of running water because he has to go bathe in the little pool near his house. Oh, here we go. It's a hut of waddled Ozier with his wives. How, how emo is he as he walks his way to bathe? Because all he thinks... Right, is that Dorothy was right about him. <laughs> like, I am just a dreamer as he like kicks stones. <laughs> <laughs> like he's yeah, he is the most emo. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. So yeah, he goes down to this and we get a little uh they talk about how the pool is fed by the river East Wall. Mm-hmm. So we get a little um callback there, which is fun. Uh well he finds a beautiful bathing woman in the water. The hermit stood watching her, like a man caught in webs of sudden sorcery. His youth mounted within him in response to her beauty's evocation. Seeming to tire of her play, she turned her back and began to move toward the opposite shore, where, as Anselm now noticed, a pile of feminine garments lay in charming disorder on the grass. Step by step, she rose from the shoaling water, revealing hips and thighs like those of an antique Venus. Then, beyond her, he saw that a huge wolf, appearing furtively as a shadow from the thicket, had stationed itself beside the heap of clothing. Anselm had never seen such a wolf before. He remembered the tales of werewolves that were believed to infest the ancient wood, and his alarm was touched instantly with the fear which only preternatural things can arouse. The beast was strangely colored, its fur being a glossy bluish-black. It was larger than the common gray wolves of the forest. Crouching inscrutably, half-hidden in the sedges, it seemed to await the woman as she waded shoreward. Anselm is like, hey, watch out for that ginormous wolf over there. And she's like, oh, hee hee, just one or two wolves wouldn't attack me. It'll be fine. I like the idea of her being like an antique Venus. Right. Um, and that being maybe a callback to the disenterment of Venus. She's not just a Venus, she's an antique one. So he tries to warn her about the wolf, and uh, she sort of laughs it away. But she does say that if he's worried, maybe he would escort her back to her home. And he's like, heck yeah. And then there's this weird little detail where she's getting dressed and he, like, he has a knife, but he decides to make himself a cudgel as well. 
Like, like he feels like he needs a club instead of a blade to fight the wolf, I guess. I don't know. What did you guys think about that moment? I was thinking he's in the bushes playing with a stick. You playing know? with some wood while she's getting dressed. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Are we making masturbation jokes? Is that what's going on? Yes. Okay. Um, okay. Well, this was something that was interesting. When he described Dorothea's voice, her voice was honey, but a honey filled with bee stings. When mm-hmm. he describes this woman's voice, who we haven't, we don't know her name yet. He describes her voice. There's nothing to fear, she said, in a voice like the pouring of warm honey. So <laughs> they both have honey voices. One filled with bee stings, the other warm. She is definitely the warmer and more yielding of the two of them. Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, I had a question about this. So she she gets dressed and she comes out uh, um, and he sees her again. Uh, and there's this weird line, and I don't really know what it means. He says that her clothes are um, revealing, and the line is, her manner yielded, but it also withheld. I don't know yeah, what Yeah, that, that was an interesting... An interesting I, I love the line, but I don't quite know what to make of it. My take on it is that she was dressing seductively and in order to provoke a reaction, but she wasn't just bearing it all. Right. right. Sometimes there's something a little sexy about actually being partially covered. But it says her manner... Right? Well, so is maybe it... that's how she's acting, too. Yeah. yeah so yeah. maybe she was being kind of coy. Like, her dress was revealing, but her manner was uh, more reserved and coy. Yeah. So she introduces herself as Sephora. I tried to get some background on the name aside from it being, what is it, a perfume line or something? Yeah, like, like makeup. a makeup line. Makeup yeah. line. The internet has two different etymologies for the name. One is Old Testament meaning bird, and the other is... Um, I think it comes from uh, Zephora, the name of Moses' wife. Right, that's the Old Testament reference. Was it ever spelled the way he spells it here? Nowadays, apparently it is. I guess what I'm getting at is, did Clark Ashton Smith create Sephora, the makeup line? He, in Mother of Toads, he created Marilyn Monroe. He in did. In this story, he created Sephora. He was so ahead of his time. He made modern womanhood what it is today. <laughs> right. <laughs> so he says... Uh, you know, if you'll permit me, I will accompany you back to your home. She says, great, let's do it. They walk home through the woods, and it's all areas that he knows pretty well. And they're flirting, and he can't really tell if she's... Sometimes she seems really like a young woman, and sometimes she seems really mature, so he has no idea what her age is. And every once in a while, he catches sight of the wolf following them, but it never really approaches. And then the path leads them to a cromlech. Is that the right way to say it? I think so. I think so. I love the word Cromlech. I didn't know uh, that it was a real word until I read the story in um, For My Like bi-weekly China Mabel reference in the book, The Scar. There is an entire nation of the undead and it's called, it's called High Cromlech, which is awesome. I was like, High Cromlech? I want to move to High Cromlech. <laughs> uh, but apparently it's uh, also means, I don't know how to describe it. I mean, they're, they're pretty, a pretty common looking thing. It's like a like a doorway kind of made out of stone, like stone. Yeah, made out of like right? big. Yeah. But they're not they're not usually doorways though. They're just like like ritual stones or something, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, like a doorway in space. It's two stones straight up, and then one stone laid across the top, right? Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it looks you know vaguely like like Stonehenge or something, or like right. you know Easter Island in a sense, like like big ritual looking stones. So they come upon this Cromlech, and she's like, "That's where I live." That's the portal to my my domain. And all of a sudden she gets fainty on him. She's been fine this whole time. She didn't need him to walk her home. And suddenly she's swooning and says, that, oh, she's just so tired and he'll have to carry her through it. Why Why do you think this is? I, this is, I have another note on this moment. It's similar to the cudgel. Like I don't, 
this isn't something that comes into play later. Like she doesn't have any fainting spells later, and I, right. I don't know. Um, no, and we even know that other people can come through there on their their own. It's not like they have to be in contact or anything to go through it. I mean, it right, it and she even fun. said before that she says it is unlikely that you have heard of me for i dwell apart in a place that none can find unless i permit them to find it as we'll see later that's not truly the case unless it Um, is the case unless it is the case well i i I, just this moment is is just weird to me and i I, it feels almost like it's concocted specifically for the wedding image oh right yeah very true but it doesn't it doesn't really have any narrative basis it just seems to be yeah. for the image which is kind right. of interesting um, and to be kind of like a little lascivious like a little sensual because as he's yeah. carrying her across he starts kissing her eyes and her neck right yep mm-hmm. yep his lips wander to her eyelids and pass deliriously to the soft red flame of her lips and the rose pallor of her throat and once more she seemed to faint which i yeah this whole part of the story i don't understand she might have just been making a move. Like, that's her move. Her move is to be need to be protected. That right. could work. Yeah. There's this whole, uh, have you heard, guys ever heard of the weird sexual fetish for people that, like, love to see women, like, carried by monsters? Like, no. like they get off on no. images of, like, Frankenstein <laughs> carrying a woman or Wolfbang carrying a woman or, it's weird, I can't remember the name of it. I learn something new every podcast yeah, session. seriously. <laughs> Thank you, Phil. And, and I am one of those men, so let's not laugh. It's an issue that I have to deal with. <laughs> Lifting his head, Anselm looked about him with swiftly growing bewilderment. He had carried Sephora only a few paces, and yet the grass on which they lay was not the sparse and sun-dried grass of the moor, but was deep, verdant, and filled with tiny vernal blossoms. Oaks and beeches, huger even than those of the familiar forest, loomed umbrageously on every hand with masses of new golden-green leafage. Looking back, he saw that the gray lichened slabs of the Kramlik itself alone remained of that former landscape. Even the sun had changed its position. It had hung at Anselm's left, still fairly low in the east. But now, shining with amber rays through a rift in the forest, it had almost touched the horizon on his right. He recalled that Sephora had told him that she was an enchantress. Here indeed was proof of sorcery. Be not alarmed, said Sephora with a honeyed smile. I told you that the Cromlech was the doorway to my domain. We are now in a land lying outside of time and space as you have hitherto known them. The very seasons are different here. But there is no sorcery involved, except that of the great ancient druids who knew the secret of this hidden realm, and reared those mighty slabs for a portal between worlds. If you should weary of me, you can pass back at any time through the doorway. But I hope you have not tired of me so soon. And then they bone. Yes. Uh, they bone so lengthily and in such detail that the sun had fallen below the horizon before Sephora could draw a full breath and speak again. That's hardcore. That is. You know, the HP Podcraft and the MRN James podcast never have to deal with this kind of stuff. Clark Ashton Smith loves a sexer because he yeah. was a sexer himself. He was. He, you know, he went to Plowtown. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Double shadow. Keeping it classy. So... We've already got our 
little echoes of Disinterment of Venus, where he described her as looking like an antique Venus. Now we have our end of the story and rendezvous. Rendezvous and also um, Holiness of Zedera. And Holiness, yeah, the with the, yeah. yeah. So we've got the Druids, we've got the stepping through a portal and ending up in a, a place that's different, different seasons, different stars, different grass. I, 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 for some reason, and I um, should be able to articulate this better than I'm going to be able to, this moment as he steps through the, the Cromlech and ends up in um, like a world akin to his but different reminds me very, very much of, um, I think, something that happens in Dying Earth by Jack Vance, right? Yeah. So, I, and I don't know what it is about it, if it's just a certain sensibility or something. If anybody can tell me why this reminds me of it, I would be grateful. But there's something in here that, like, when I read it, I was, my mind just screamed, oh, that's, like, Jack Vance definitely read the story and was like, I'm going to use something of this. I just, I can't remember exactly what it is. When we get into Zothik and stuff, there's a lot more Vancey and stuff there, but Right. Uh, this for moment, for some reason, struck me as um as something that felt like a Jack Vance moment. So then our pair, they they finish their sexing, and then they uh, and they're cold because to... they're sweaty and it. The yeah, sun goes it gets down. cold. Right. I feel like there's a lot of cool lore in this story. There's little bits and pieces that he just drops that maybe he did a lot in Colossus, uh, mm-hmm. but none of the other stories I really really feel like they're part of the larger world of Averone, but this one really does where she she takes him to her castle well it's a tower now but it was mm. once a great castle but it's all fallen into ruin so now it's just the tower which is really cool there used to be a castle there now it's a tower she lives it's there interesting too though because it like what i don't know what that means about how time works because it like right Given given the last time, like an end of the story, when we jumped into like a weird, like mythic other space, it felt yeah. timeless. But this other mythic space definitely has, like things can fall apart here. Yeah. So they go inside and she's got servants there, corpse pale aged servants that come in and serve them food and move to and fro. And then the wolf that he saw while she was bathing enters and she explains that he's tame she lets him come in, and she feeds him, and he looks at Anselm and growls at him. And then she's like, oh, it looks like he doesn't like you. <laughs> Can't imagine and, why. <laughs> and she calls him by name. She says, go away, Malachi. And Which then is a leaves. weird name for a wolf. Yeah, right? So then she says, I have neglected my magic, so I have to go. Well, the, actually, there's, me. there's a night, though. They go to sleep, and then it's the next morning that she Oh, they do? That. Okay, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah, they... um. Right, and Selm, bemused with wine and love, forgot to inquire the meaning of her last words. I, I just—I only bring that up because I like that there's this night in the middle of this. It's a strange little moment, I think. Did they actually go to sleep? Or it doesn't say they go to sleep. It just no. says it morning just says the came next too morning. Soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, morning came too soon with the upward slanting beams that fired the treetops around the tower. Yeah, and then she goes, "Excuse me, I have to go do some magic." So <laughs> <laughs> I've been neglecting my magic. Right. Because of all the sex, I need to go do my magic. <laughs> <laughs> and I love what he does because he just goes out and he frolics. I mean, yeah, really yeah that's awesome. Else is what he says, it's a region of enchantment. He's going frolic, 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 and laughing at what Dorothy said about it. And like, huh? Screw Dorothy. Right. She could see me now. Like I'm, <laughs> and I'm he like this awesome sorceress, finds, and I'm in this really romantic place. He finds this huge boulder that's covered in moss and like sits on it. It's like this is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> And I love that aspect of this story, that it's also less like it's 
set up like a story. There's a bit more of like an exploratory feeling like he's exploring this world that hasn't happened yet. Usually an Ashton Smith character will go into this other realm and be like terrified. You know, he's Mm -hmm. like, wow, this is really cool. Because he's also, you know, he started out as a visionary and a poet. He didn't start out as like a closed minded religious person or whatever, a noble. A lawyer. Although, although I mean, I think mm-hmm. the story this most echoes is the end of the story. And when that guy went to the other realm, he was like, this is pretty sweet. But yeah, I mean, your point still stands. Like in a lot of ways, this feels like a, not a rewrite, but like a, a retread of the end of the story, uh, yeah. thematically at least. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, but he's on the boulder and he sees this wolf again. And it's pawing at the ground and it's digging up some roots, which it then eats. Anselm's mouth gaped at the thing which ensued. One moment the wolf was before him. Then, where the wolf had been, there rose up the figure of a man, lean, powerful, with blue-black hair and beard and darkly flaming eyes. His hair grew almost to his brows, the beard nearly to his lower eyelashes. His arms, legs, shoulders, and chest were matted with bristles. Be assured that I mean you no harm, said the man. I am Malachi Dumare, a sorcerer and the one-time lover of Sephora. Tiring of me and fearing my wizardry, she turned me into a werewolf by giving me secretly the waters of a certain pool that lies amid this enchanted domain of Slayer. The pool is cursed from an old time with the infection of lycanthropy and Sephora has added her spells to its power. I can throw off the wolf shape for a little while during the dark of the moon. At other times, I can regain my human form, though only for a few minutes by eating the root that you saw me dig and devour. The root is very scarce. And some felt that the sorceries of Solaire were more complicated than he had hitherto imagined, but amid his bewilderment, he was unable to trust the weird being before him. He had heard many tales of werewolves, their ferocity, people said, was that of demons rather than of mere brutes. Allow me to warn you of the grave danger in which you stand, continued Malachi Dumaray. You are rash to let yourself be enticed by Sephora. If you are wise, you will leave the purlius of Solaire with all possible dispatch. The land is old and evil and sorcery, and all who dwell within it are ancient as the land, and are equally accursed. The servants of Sephora are vampires that sleep by day in the tower vaults and come forth by night. They go out through the druid portal to prey on the people of Averone. His eyes glittered balefully, and his deep voice assumed a hissing undertone. Sephora herself is an ancient Lamia, well-nigh immortal who feeds in the vital forces of young men. She has had many lovers throughout the ages, and I must deplore, even though I cannot specify, their ultimate fate. The youth and beauty that she retains her illusions. If you could see Sephora as she really is, you would recoil in revulsion. Cured of your perilous love, you would see her unthinkably old and hideous with infamies. But how can such things be, queried Anselm? Truly I cannot believe you. Nice growl. Yeah, that was good. That was a way long passage, but I felt like there's so much in there that I wanted to hear. <laughs> yeah, it's all important. Yeah, um, and that's that, again, adds to the whole lore aspect. There's so her, much lore in here. Her servants are vampires. She's uh, a lamia. She's a lamia. There's a pool. He's a werewolf? There's a pool that turns you into a werewolf. This is where all the Avron werewolves yes. come from. It's perfect. And it's, 
And it's not a curse, it's an infection, which I like as well. Like, it's, it's right. a bacteria or something. And then she sealed it with her spells, or so Malachi says. In, the, in this passage, we have, again, more echoes of holiness with the druid stuff. We have echoes of the mandrakes with Malachi and his beard that goes up to his eyes. Yep. And that he was also a sorcerer. And the root that he eats, he describes it as garlic-like. Mandrakes aren't really garlic-like, are they? No, it, was, it wasn't a mandrake, but it makes you think of mandrakes. Right, yeah. And she's a lamia, or he says that she's a lamia with right. absolutely no proof of it. So many interesting details in the story, like, Tim, you were saying earlier, that detail about her saying people couldn't find her realm without her help. And right. this detail that he can't, for whatever reason, he cannot specify their ultimate fate yet must deplore it, which just seems, I don't know, like it, there's so much interesting ambivalence in, in these Averone stories about right. like just what is the, what's really going on? <laughs> like, yeah, is she actually evil yeah, or not? It's, um, it's pretty fascinating. This whole thing, like we keep talking about how it has all these callbacks to um, other Averone stories. It reminds me of something wholly unlike Clark Ashton Smith, which is the little favored James Bond movie called On Her Majesty's Secret Service, Allow Me an Aside. The first non-Sean Connery James Bond movie, and it mm -hmm. starts off, well, it starts off with this great, like, introduction to George Lazenby, but there's this moment when he goes into his office, and he opens this drawer and pulls out all these artifacts from the Sean Connery movies, oh, and, really? like, and, like, little musical cues from all of the Sean Connery movies plays as he, like, pulls out the harpoon from Dr. No, but it's awesome, and it's not something that really ever happens in any other James Bond movie, and it's super cool, and that's... This is like the On Her Majesty's Secret Service of Avergon stories. How's that for a niche? How's that for a niche argument? <laughs> That's like pretty amazing. Anyway, Malachi starts to turn back into a wolf, um, and he asks uh, and Psalm one more important question: How many mirrors have you seen in the tower? Because vampires don't like mirrors. So, and Psalm is like, "Well, I guess I haven't seen any mirrors, and I haven't seen a single servant during the daytime. I only saw them last night." He's sort of thinking to himself, well, I really like Sephora, and I really don't want to trust this Malachi guy, but he does have a point about those mirrors. So he goes back to the tower. And he tells her. He's like, okay, so I met your ex in the woods. I know he's a werewolf, and he told me some stuff. <laughs> Best fact check ever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then she's like, oh, yeah, okay. I should have figured, by the way, he growled at you last night. She backs up his story. Up to a point. And she says that he turned himself into a werewolf being kind of a dumb sorcerer or an experimental sorcerer. <laughs> Their relationship was like way weird. They were into all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Now this is interesting because now she says that the werewolf form was his own choice, assumed out of evil curiosity by drinking from the pool of which he told you. He has regretted it since for the, the wolf shape, while giving him certain powers of harm, in reality limits his actions and his sorceries. How D&D is that? Tim, make it into a D&D mechanic. Yeah, seriously. It's really cool. This whole story would make an a really great D&D mission. But yeah, the so the bard he's, gets lured off. Right. <laughs> so he's he's trapped. Now we have the two stories that sync up to a point, but we don't know who And who she trust. also says that he has stolen the cure, a werewolf cure from her, and that he's once the moon is dark again and the his lycanthropy is at its weakest, he is going to use this cure on himself and when he does, his wizardry will be at full strength again and he'll be a danger to both Sephora and Anselm and, and the whole, all of Solaire, it, it kind of sounds like. 
And um, Anselm's all like, oh, why why wouldn't he like me? Why does he hate me? And then she calls him stupid. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> the first question is slightly stupid, my dear. Like, yep. Although, it, does he actually hate him? It doesn't seem like it, unless he does hate him and he thinks he can use him. Right. To get back at her. I think he hates her, however. Right. She's like, let's play a trick on him. I love she calls him a trick. It, it makes Anselm seem like he's 12. Right. <laughs> it's like she leans in and she's like, you want to do something really funny, Anselm? So what is she, Tim, what's the plan? The plan is she knows he's got this cure water that he stole. Through her, her divination, she's figured out what he's keeping it in. So she took water from the werewolf pool <laughs> and put it in a, a vial that looks exactly like the one that he's keeping his cure in. So she's like, look, we'll swap them. You go over there to his where, his lair, his where lair. Go to the where lair. <laughs> Wait, where is the where lair? Swap the cure with the werewolf water. And then you'll see what happened. It's going to be super funny. <laughs> and then he's like, yeah, I'll do it. And then she's like, Wait, take this magic sword. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God, this story just keeps it's getting better and better. Take yeah. this. Right, exactly. It's plus She's one like against were creatures. In a what I think is a callback to Rendezvous and Averone, she says, "If he should attack you, your alder stick would prove a poor weapon." Yeah, nice. Yeah. Which maybe he should use it against her. He might not need to. Thing. We don't know who to trust here. We're in the middle of this sorcerer's war. Okay, let's see what happens. <laughs> He goes out to the were lair and he makes a switch. And just as he does, the wolf appears behind him. So he's like pretending that, that he's just, just chilling in the guy's <laughs> uh, place, waiting for him to hang out. And the wolf sees the sword and recognizes the sword. So he eats some of the root, which he's apparently been hoarding in his place, and half transforms so that his head and torso are manlike and his legs aren't. So he's like a half wolf. Another great little detail. Yeah, it's a great image. It's like he's like a weird wolf puck thing like do you think he stands upright or do you think that he like is on front arm and legs and i think back it's wolf legs this time the transformation was not complete the head and body of malachi du murray rose up again before anselm but the legs were the hind legs of a monstrous wolf he was like some bestial hybrid of antique legend so yeah i think it's just his back legs just his lower body so malachi um says well since you're here have a magic mirror this is a mirror of reality <laughs> in which the true nature of things are reflected. And Anselm makes the mistake of holding it up and seeing Malachi in it. Well, Malachi tells him. He's like, if you think I'm joking, yeah. go ahead. Take a look through the mirror. Look at me. And he sees reflected within it a face that the sepulcher should have hidden long ago. Which, that gave me chills. You're just like friendly werewolf hanging out in his thing and suddenly, boom. If you doubt me, hold the mirror to my face now, for I too am part of the land's immemorial evil. He's just strengthening his case that whatever lives here is tainted. And Anselm's not really sure he wants to keep the mirror as he goes back to the tower. He thinks about throwing it away, but ends up not throwing it away. When he gets back to the tower, Sephora has some surprise visitors. It's that woman who was yelling at him in the beginning. She heard that he hermited himself and that he was pining after her. So she couldn't just leave well enough alone. She round up two of her father's guardsmen and went looking. She heard somebody had seen him passing through the cromlech. So she went in to follow them. I want that guy's story. Who's 
asshole hang out with a Cromwell. We just happened to see this happen. <laughs> and and who knew to tell her to go yeah. running off, snitching. Random shepherd, maybe? Yeah. Snitches get stitches, random shepherd. <laughs> so they're there, and as he barges in, it seems like Sephora's trying to explain something to them, which is, I only noted because I didn't quite know what to make of it. I don't really know what she's trying to explain. And Selm looks at the, two, at the two women, the woman he used to love and the woman he currently loves, and he thinks to himself... Uh, Dorothy, or Dorothy, really isn't all that great, ultimately. But she turns to him and, and just sort of says, look, I missed you. I heard you were a hermit and I, I came here to find you. Before these reunited lovers can, can have any kind of discussion about it, with a howl, the werewolf barges into the door and it lunges right at Dorothy. The two serving men, bristling with their arsenal of weapons, stood like effigies. Anselm drew the sword given him by the Enchantress and leapt forward between Dorothée and the wolf. He raised his weapon, which was straight-bladed and suitable for stabbing. The mad werewolf sprang as if hurled from a catapult, and his red, open gorge was spitted on the outthrust point. Anselm's hand was jarred on the sword hilt, and the shock drove him backward. The wolf fell, thrashing at Anselm's feet. His jaws had clenched on the blade. The point protruded beyond the stiff bristles of his neck. Anselm tugged vainly at the sword. Then the black-furred body ceased to thrash, and the blade came easily. It had been withdrawn from the sagging mouth of the dead ancient sorcerer, Malachi de Marais, which lay before Anselm on the flagstones. The sorcerer's face was now the face that Anselm had seen in the mirror when he had held it up at Malachi's injunction. You have saved me. How wonderful, cried Dorothy. And so, like a total hero, when Dorothy rushes at him to hug him, kiss him, embrace him, probably take him back and marry him and stuff, Anselm responds by holding up the mirror of reality <laughs> in front of her so that she looks right into it and sees herself. Anselm is the most badass of the characters <laughs> we've had so far. Weirdly so, though. He's awesome. He just stabbed that werewolf in the, in the face, face. <laughs> in the face and his reaction instead of getting in the glory is just like yeah take a look at yourself i love like how as written his him holding up that mirror to her face it feels like he's holding up a shield or something and it yeah. feels like almost like he's not even thinking about what he's doing he's just like ah and holds the mirror up right it's funny because after she said you have saved me it says anselm saw that she had started toward him with outthrust arms a moment more, and the situation would become embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, he feels like he's, he seems to feel of, of himself like he's grown. He's outgrown yeah. a girl like her, mm -hmm. and he's ready to be with a woman like Sephora. And, and it's, just, it's just embarrassing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Dorothy gasped, her eyes dilated in manifest horror. Then, covering her eyes with her hands as if to shut out some ghastly vision, she ran shrieking from the hall. Serving men followed her. Sephora began to laugh softly. Anselm found himself chuckling. For a while, they abandoned themselves to uproarious mirth. I know why Malachi gave you the mirror, Sephora said. Do you not wish to see my reflection in it? Without answering Sephora, he went over to the nearest window, which looked down on a deep pit lined with bushes that had been part of an ancient half-filled moat. He hurled the silver oblong into the pit. I am content with what my eyes tell me, without the aid of any mirror, he declared. Now let us pass to other matters which have been interrupted too long. Again, the clinging deliciousness of Sephora was in his arms, and her fruit-soft mouth was crushed beneath his hungry lips. The strongest of all enchantments held them in its golden circle. It's like, such a crazy ending. 
It is, because he knows we could probably trust that she is some kind of Lamia monster. Something. But once again, there is no explicit evidence of her being evil. And the word evil appears, I think, only once in the story. And it's when Malachi is saying it. But there's no, I mean, just like in end of the story and in a lot of the other stories, there's no discernible action behind her evil. It's just somebody saying she's evil, you know, Uh, which is really, I don't know, it's just fascinating. Well, I mean, it was kind of, she was being kind of a dick when she switched the cure. Oh, yeah. But that's not, I mean, would would you call that evil? We don't know the full story. We exactly. don't know it depends on was... who Malachi is as to whether or not we can call right. him evil. Yeah. And it, it um, seemed the way she was talking, it was it was more kind of puckish, like more tricksterish. Like this well, is what be I'm hilarious. saying. Like, I, I don't I don't think that she's necessarily not evil. I just feel right. like the store the the story itself is is really ambivalent about yes. her morality. And so Anselm's choice is almost one I mean, it's very akin to end of the story and a very akin to a lot of his poetry. Like, it's not yeah. really a story between good and evil. It's just a choice between um, choosing a, a fantasy over a reality yeah. or something. But but not there is no judgment in the story. No, it. Like, right. I think you read a lot of stories where it's like, oh, you know, it would be like, oh, poor Anselm, he chose to live in a fantasy world instead of dealing with reality. But the the story seems perfectly happy to have Anselm make that choice. And that's how I he started. Yeah, He's, exactly. Yeah, he started as a dreamer and somebody who was more prone to fantasy than reality. Now he gets it. I mean, this it, to me, I, and I said it before, like it, the whole th- the whole story has so many callbacks to other Avron stories, but it is to me almost exactly the same as the ending of the end of the story, which is right. the guy, you know, having been told that he's sleeping with a monster that is playing with his mind and knowing that he's intoxicated by a, a land that is um, somehow more ancient and magical than the one that he came from, basically just says, fuck it, I'm staying here, I don't give a shit, like, which is, I'm sorry, I mean, screw it, I don't give a crap. <laughs> Tim will just bleep. This ending has a little more, I guess, agency. Like, it seems yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. like he's really more in control than... The guy, I don't even remember his name, from End of the Christoph. Story. Right. Yeah. Where Christoph kind of felt, it, it kind of felt like he was being compelled. It's true. This guy does have agency, and he is a romantic dreamer, not a, right. a lawyer. So it, it kind of, yeah. it fits with his personality more. It, yeah, it's a, it's a much better story than End of the Story. How amazing is it that they laugh? I know, I it's like, that they it's like the like, end of a He-Man episode. <laughs> it's, yeah. like, it's so hilarious to them that Malachi has died and Dorothy has like... <laughs> gone mad seeing herself like unable to deal with reality which is i i like i don't know there's i think there's a lot to be said for that specific moment because Mm -hmm. we don't know what she's seen we just Mm -hmm. know that she's incapable of despite her um chastisement of anselm at the beginning of the story she herself is unable to deal with reality i also liked um how this ending we were talking about how it's a lot like end of the story but it's also a good bit like um like rendezvous in Avron. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. He's like, well, we've put off that. You know, it's like right. drawing yeah. her into his arms for the movie, the movie ending kiss. The strongest of all enchantments held him in his. I don't know. That sounds like sex to me, but maybe that's just because there's so much sex in the last couple of stories we've right. covered. I see. I think it, it's love, love. right? <laughs> Passion. I don't know. I'm just saying. At this point, they're just kissing. The the MGM true, but now let us pass. Other managers have been after too long. That sounds to me like he's oh. talking about more than kissing. 
Well, I mean, as soon as as soon as it fades to black, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Off screen. What are we going to do next episode to celebrate and mourn and bring closure to Averone for ourselves? Well, I'm going to dress like a medieval monk. I'm going to be sitting in my hot apartment in my bedroom with the door closed, so probably this. Yeah, that's not really quite as ceremonious as I was hoping. <laughs> what would you like to do, Phil? I don't know. Like have a moment of silence or something. Yeah. <laughs> I have an elder sign necklace. I can totally wear that because it's like in Mother of Toads and shit. <laughs> just like in the story, Mother of Toads. <laughs> we don't have to do anything to commemorate Averon. It's just going to make me sad as all. Well. well, we could talk about it. We could do an Averon wrap-up episode. Yeah, we could do a wrap-up episode. What I'd Plot, really like... themes, whatnot. Yeah. Only if you guys actually rap about Averon in the wrap-up episode. Just to wrap up Enchantress of Solaire. Oh, yeah, of course. I, mm-hmm. You can totally tell that this was the last Averon story that he wrote because he kind of took bits and pieces from each one, like we've been saying through the episode, and married it all together into this one action-packed episode. There was very little flab in this one. Then there's so much. I mean, this is there's so much action. Like even comparing the death of Malachi in this to the death of the Colossus, for, for whatever reason, just because of the style of how it's written, the death of this werewolf is so much more action packed than uh, Gaspar Denord's blowing that dust into. Yeah. Uh, well, that's not yeah. Gaspar Denord. It's a. Uh, no, it is Gaspar. Is it? Yeah. Who's yeah. in Beast of Who's in Beast of Evro? Um, oh, Luke 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 yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of action in Colossus, but it's not, it's, it's almost not written action-esque. And this, it's like, and the werewolf charges, and he holds up his straight-bladed right. sword. Like, <laughs> I don't find this quite as satisfying as a number of Everon stories that have more crisis and plot and such. Right. Yeah. But it is a fun, good, it's a good compliment to end of the story and a good bookend feel. I wish that there was, were more Everon stories that he had written, but um, this is about as good a capper as I could could wish for you know like yeah. it feels in a sense like the end of a project i don't know if it was written as the end of a project but it feels like the end of a project next time join us for the first written and last published story out of averone the satyr good night and good luck So, that so Phil, was, you got your werewolves. Yeah, yeah we I all did. got our I werewolves. Mean, Guys. It's pretty sweet. No, it's I cool. Like, I feel like we should all hug because we got we finally have a werewolf. <laughs> Guys, podcast hug. Bring, <laughs> it, <laughs> bring it bring it close to the microphone. Okay. Podcast Let's hug. Hug it out. <laughs> 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 I got squished.